Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Um, today we're going to be talking about a very serious topic that doesn't always get a lot of attention in the kidney community, and it's it's really about helping people get to work, maintain employment, and because life for me, I know, has been a lot better when I've had a job and kidney disease because it can be very expensive. Uh, it sometimes comes with the much-needed insurance. And American Association of Kidney Patients and Medical Education Institute have created a new program called Kidney Works. And we have two guests with us today, uh, Richard Knight, who is the AAKP vice president, and Paul Conway, who is the president. So uh, welcome to the show, guys. Hey, welcome, Lori, and thanks for everything you do for patients. Well, Absolutely, thank and thanks for giving us the chance to discuss this with you. So why don't we start with Paul? Why don't you give a little bit of your background and why you um, wanted to, you know, be part of this initiative? Sure. Uh, well, pretty quickly here, uh, my background is obviously as a as a patient. I've managed kidney disease for uh, 37 years, for the past 20 years as a kidney transplant recipient, and I've had uh, many years of a decline that later went into uh, uh, over two years on dialysis, and during my career. Uh, the importance of staying connected with my aspirations uh, and staying involved in the workforce and pursuing my dreams has been fundamentally important to me, and I know it has been to the patients uh, that I've gotten to know over the years. So I've had very good fortune in my life. I've been involved in the public policy arena. Uh, I've served under four presidents and three governors, including time as uh, the chief of staff of the United States Department of Labor. And each one of those experiences that I had on the professional front uh, behind it they were, say, a great medical team and a great team of uh, family and friends who helped me do what I needed to do to stay involved in the workforce and keep working. But especially on the policy side, as a chief of staff for labor, I know that it's important for people to keep earning an income, especially those who may have a medical condition or a disability. So when we had an opportunity to take on a policy issue that really had an impact and that many folks had not focused on, and to do it with the Medical Education Institute, we thought, how do you arm patients early in the disease diagnosis with the tools that they needed uh, to stay involved? And uh, this is something that I share a passion for uh, with Richard Knight. And um, Richard can say several things about that. He has a very interesting background, a very esteemed background. Same path uh, as a patient informs all that he does. Richard? Thanks, Paul. Good afternoon, everyone. Again, Richard Knight, Vice President, Chair of Public Policy. Like Paul, I've been dealing with uh, renal CKD for about 20 years. I'm 11 years out on a transplant. And during the time that I was on dialysis, a little bit over two and a half years, I was fortunate in that I was con- I was able to continue working. I was a small business owner, mm-hmm. and I was also... Um, active with the Boys and Girls Club. I had a son. I used to coach his soccer team. So I was probably the exception, and I was able to maintain and continue doing many of the things that people who are on dialysis are unable to do. I was one of the fortunate ones. As I got a transplant and began to feel better, I always thought about those who were simply unable to work because in addition to the fundamental income 
that work provides for you. It really provides for you a sense of purpose and a sense of self. And when you take that away, along with the other side effects of the disease that include um, depression, cognitive impairment, working is just essential to addressing those needs and certain make certain that you are financially viable. Um, right. I've served... I've served as a as a professor at a college, so the disease was making it much more difficult for me to function in terms of my ability to think clearly. So part it's, of our motivation for, for continuing on with this effort was to really, really try to make it so that the patients could take advantage of some of the things that we are able to because of our condition. You know, I mean, I have a very long history since I was two years old of kidney disease. And I have worked since I was 18 years old. I don't know any different. It's because I just always went out and went and got a job. And what's what's really interesting, I want to talk a little bit about the policy side, but I also want to talk about some of the little, you know, ways to be able to help people get a job. Because one of the things that I find with my prom every year that I do with teenagers with kidney disease is they're not really skilled enough to afford their illness. And I see this with the, the, the teens that are 19, 20, and they, they don't have a chance to, you know, get a minimum wage job and lose all their benefits. And, and they don't even know if they can work. That's the real problem. They, they don't have enough confidence. I've seen this with, you know, many of the programs that I put together to help, you know, train patients to be speakers or different aspects. You see their confidence grow because it's a shock to your, your um, self-esteem. And I think one of the keys is, is, and I think you both said it, is that we're, we somewhat work for ourselves, which makes it a little bit easier when you have to like go into that for that surgery or access replacement. And some employers aren't all that understanding. And I've witnessed this firsthand myself where an employer wasn't understanding of my health needs. And so just a little bit of comment on policy and how 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 you see this being implemented through the Kidney Works program. So there are really two issues here. One is... Um uh, and really where Kidney Works targets are for those folks who are already engaged in the workforce and who get diagnosed that they have kidney disease, what do they need to do to stay involved, stay employed, and avoid at all necessity going on to disability? So how do you keep your benefits and your job intact? And that goes to an issue that you've raised, which is in part, how do you communicate? One, how do you know what the law is? How do you know what your rights are? But then... How do you actually have a constructive conversation with your loved ones, uh, with your medical team, and with your employer uh, based on your situation um, that will keep you in the workforce and keep you with your job? So for a lot of uh, different companies, uh, the flexibility of being able to move from full-time to part-time or to keep up with uh, full-time employment but maybe with some reasonable accommodation is there, and that's Part of what we intend to do is to arm people with it. But, Lori, you've hit on a very important point. For those who are aspiring to go to work, um, who may be progressing through their disease, uh, many of them are not armed with the tools uh, that they need to have the discussion or how to think. And I think one of the other points you hit is essentially if you're a kidney patient today, no matter where you are in the spectrum, but especially as you get to end-stage renal disease, it is a full-time job managing your disease, and then to manage work on top of that has many more complexities. Right. So those are some of the elements that we also hope to bring um, in the actual toolkit that we make available for patients 
so that those who are working understand what those who aspire to work have to go through, and those who aspire to work know what it is that they need to do once they're in the workforce to stay in the workforce. Well, it's very interesting because I find that some people who have kidney disease and are diagnosed and they have a job, they don't like their job. <laughs> and one of the things that's so important is you really like your job because you got to have the the desire to get up and go, you know, I, I always say find a job you would volunteer for and figure out how to get paid for it. That's the best job ever. And I, I, I encounter a lot of patients who want to, they don't like their job and having this illness is kind of an excuse to not work. And I guess it's trying to help patients match with a job that they can get out of bed to do when you don't feel your best. I mean, that, that's really, you know, the key to love what you do. Well, well, Laurie, you, you, you hit on a very important point there. And part of what we're trying to do through kidney works is rather comprehensive. But, of course, we're always educating. You know, the three of us, are. we spend so much time educating. With respect to employment, people will tell you, well, you can stop your job and get on disability. But I think it's part of an outcome of this report will put the information out there that will motivate the patient. You have a job, you want to maintain that job as long as possible. That's not something that you want to give up. You need to cherish that job because once you give it up, you may not be able to get back into the workforce, so it's going to be very, very difficult. And sometimes people don't appreciate something until it's taken away from them. Right. And, you know, when you have renal disease, there's a lot of things that get taken away from us. Then the other side of education is working with an employer, trying to give them some ideas or suggestions about ways that they can accommodate right. someone who's on CKD. If they work at home one day, maybe they can put that up to two days a week. Maybe they can convert to a shared experience on the job. There's a lot of options available, but sometimes when you can walk in and have some solutions to the problem, it can be very helpful. Well, I totally agree with you. Job sharing such a great you know, way for people to stay employed. And they do that with a lot of working moms or, you know, moms that, you know, just had a child, which is such a great advancement in the workplace. Um, one of the things that's really interesting that um, I spent some time, I was appointed by Governor Gray Davis to serve on the Department of Rehabilitation. And it was interesting to me how the Department of Rehabilitation handles people who have a disability. And I don't know if it's if different states, but in the state of California, they do something called order of selection, and they they want to rehabilitate the actual sickest patients, and it sometimes leaves the people who are you know not don't need as much help <laughs> at the bottom of the list. And this was one of my bugaboos. Like, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. We should go get the low-hanging fruit <laughs> and get them working <laughs> before they become the, you know, high-hanging fruit. Um, you know, it, it was very frustrating in some of the policies that are created that, that actually prevent people from getting a job or keeping a job. And one of the things is health insurance. So I know a lot of small companies, even myself, I've hired many patients. I have one working right now for me that it can be very expensive to insure a patient and it can be very expensive. So um, have you thought about how to educate the patients about that? Because 
I find smaller companies are more willing to take on somebody who has a health issue than sometimes the bigger companies, which is the bigger companies should be taking on the people who have the illness. But, you know, they're so big, they don't get to know the person and see their skill set for somebody who's locally in the community. Well, you've put your finger right on it. So under uh, Kidney Works, uh, one of the things that we'll be doing in the toolkit is preparing uh, patients and their family for the conversations they need to have in different types of settings. So obviously, if you work for government, there's a certain number of benefits and types of things that go with that. If you're in uh, the private sector in a large organization that may have one set of um, uh, tools that you'll need to use, small employers or small business owners and other and nonprofits. What's interesting about this is your experience in California is it's different in every state in terms of what state programs focus on. I had served as Deputy Secretary of uh, Health and Human Resources for the Commonwealth of Virginia, and when I went on dialysis, I was the Deputy Secretary. The first conversation uh, that a social worker had with me is, this is how I can sign you up for disability and this is everything you get for it can go back to school, blah, blah, blah. And I knew that was part of a regiment, a routine that they had. And there was nothing negative about a person trying to do their job and help a patient. However, I was actually in charge of the policy her department executed. So I went back, talked to my boss, who's the secretary, and we actually changed the performance criteria for social workers in Virginia who were dealing with dialysis patients to be, for those who are employed, how many can you keep employed as opposed to sign up for disability. So the impact of a patient in this process is it can vary and it can be significant and every state is different. But for the actual impact and what you do with employers, especially on the issue of uh, health insurance, what we're doing and the reason why we assembled such a a wide group of well-respected organizations and professionals at the table to craft this policy for kidney works is because we believe that an argument needs to be made, and we believe that there is an audience among employers who will hear this clearly, that if you point out the economics of taking a well-trained worker or a worker who has loyally identified with your company and look at it from a human capital standpoint, retaining that skill set and keeping that person employed on your team actually makes better economic sense than not keeping the person on your team, even if they're managing a tough health issue. Because the competition for skills and the competency and knowledge that goes with a certain industry are so prime that the replacement cycle for workers is extremely costly. And we brought in many uh, econometrics experts and uh, health and human resource policy experts to the table to make that point. And you'll see that point made throughout uh, the Kidney Works white paper and executive summary, and folks can find that on kidneyworks.org. Has there any been any information on the skill level of people who have CKD? Because I think one of the things that's that I witness a lot of times, and I just had a patient meeting, and there was a guy who's a drywaller, and he's on dialysis. And he's like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And it's getting very, very difficult. And he's with a union, so he's educated them. And I, I did say, I'm like, look, you, you need to, you know, figure out what, um, is there any other opportunities there? Because he's just not physically strong enough to do drywall. He's done that his whole life. And it's it's just so sad because he 
doesn't think he has any other opportunities other than knowing how to drywall. And, uh, you know, maybe this will be a good opportunity for him to have a discussion of how to, you know, maintain employment. But um, my question is, is the skill level, because I see people who are able to maintain their skill set and keep a job are people with a higher level of skill set. Uh, I meet a lot of people who do not have that level developed yet. So um, any suggestions for that or um, just wanted to have any feedback? Sure. Uh, there are a couple of things. And Richard, um, I'll toss this over to you. Richard uh, teaches at uh, Bowie State University, uh, which has a, a really wide range of uh, programs and uh, skill trainings. But one of the most important things through this process is for folks to take a look at what their career path is, what their skill set is, and then identify opportunities. And we'll be making suggestions in the second phase of Kidney Works on where people can look for uh, training on cross-skills and new skills for emerging businesses and industries. And Richard, I know you folks do such a great job over that at, there at Bowie on uh, computer training uh, the programs. Maybe you want to give some insight on how somebody could approach that. Yeah, I, I was going to say that that there's um, the emphasis now. And, and again, Lori, I understand what you're talking about. People who may not have the skill set, and one of the things that's happening is that folks, population in general, is working much longer than they have been in the past. So there are a number of programs available. I mean, college students, 18 to 22 years old, I'm teaching a class now, and I have maybe, out of 30 students, maybe I have 10 that are older than 40 or 45. Wow, that's wonderful. population, as they get older, coming back. And one of the things that I emphasize, it doesn't matter the class, is skills, computer skills. Yeah. Because I have a a website, and I can certainly make this available. Um, It has a listing of all jobs that one can do online. So mm-hmm. that's an option for somebody to pick up a skill set and go online and it's called vocational, you know, vocational training. And, you know, the vocation is, is online, everything they have. So again, part of a strategy for the folks who are in that situation. And we talked about the whole notion of depression. I can't do things anymore. Right. Part of the culture change has to be with those individuals who provide rehabilitation service for them to get in tune with where the opportunities are, the mm-hmm. skill sets that are needed. So many things are done online, but you don't have to go to the classroom so you can conserve your energy. And if you're successful, as you will be, you can look for a job that will allow you to work telecommute so that you won't. You may have to go in on occasions once a week once every other week or something of that nature, but the bulk of your work can be done online as you have that skill set that will allow you to do that. It, it is so true. I mean, there's, you know, an Uber driver is such a great way for people to get engaged. I mean, that's one of the best inventions for, I know several patients who are Uber drivers and maybe they'll get, you know, get out a little bit, get a taste of work and then want to go develop themselves because, uh, I, I encounter a lot of people who, you know, they're scared of the computers, but they're scared of a computer class. And I, I said, you know what? If you're going to buy a new phone, Apple, iPad, buy an Apple, iPad, or phone, and you can go take free classes at the Apple stores in yes. California. I'm like, you can have one-on-one classes. 
and, um, you know, trying to encourage them to not be afraid of technology, because you're right, Richard, that's really where all the jobs are. And, you know, I can work wherever I'm from, long as I have my phone or my iPad, I can be working from a hospital bed. I've done that before. <laughs> so it, it's... And, and, uh, and, and you mentioned Uber. Uber. Uber is a technology company. Exactly. Airbnb is a technology company. You know, yep. if you have a house and you have a room that might be available, then you can convert that. Um, there's just a lot of options available to you. Yep, we all need a culture change. Well, and there's a new technology um, that was created by the uh, one of the partners of Uber. I think it's called WAG or something like that, but it's basically you sign up and somebody can go walk your dog while you're at work. And and basically, you know, you can tell where your dog's being walked while you're watching it from your phone at your desk. <laughs> and I thought, well, I need that because I have four dogs and we foster dogs. And oh, my goodness. I'm like, yeah, I have four dogs, a cat and a parrot, and we're fostering mm -hmm. several. We have actually three dogs we're fostering from the fires right now that um, wow. had some fires by us. So I'm a, I'm a big animal advocate in addition to being an advocate for people with kidney disease. But I'm like, that's such a great way. And you get a little exercise, too. <laughs> so gets you out of the yeah, house. No, that's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, Lord, on, this, on the issue of the drywaller, uh, let me just give you an example of what's available now. Okay, okay. so somebody that has drywall skill, um, if if you take a look at that person and, and if you take a look at them from a human capital standpoint, that person has expertise in what it takes to uh, do a job, the estimated amount of time, how many people are involved in it, and what types of equipment and materials. So the transferable skill there is his knowledge. What you can do is you can take a person like that and you can train them to become an estimator, an estimator for work to be done in construction. Or the other thing is you could take a per look at a person like that as an estimator or post-work uh, estimator and quality control person for an insurance company after insurance claims. And people can take those courses and then take their knowledge and go into kind of like from uh, carrying a toolbox and a lunchbox to actually going onto a computer screen looking at either photos of work that's been done or actually going on site. These are the types of things where technology allows that, but also it takes some creativity on the end of whether somebody's engaged with a social worker or um, with an employment counselor to take a look at that. And uh, these, these are important points because this is exactly the type of expertise brought to the table. And, and Richard, you might want to hit on this. Some of the folks that we had at the table for this, Lori, included the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy, ODEP, which is a very cutting-edge office in terms of looking at where things are going in the states, uh, where the high points are, where states could use some improvements, but most particularly for the individual um, patient or somebody with a pre-existing condition, where they could go to get uh, more information about it. And, and when along those lines, Lloyd, can I, can I take a second and just talk about some of the skills and some of the groups that were involved in this effort because it was pretty I'm gonna i I'm gonna call it an all star group. Um patient professional organizations, of course AAKP, but we had the American Health Quality Association, American Society of Nephrology, the Kidney Health Initiative, which is a collaboration between the FDA and ASN, and of course Gloria Chatel's shop, the Medical Education Institute, which you mentioned earlier. NRAA, the National Reno Administrators Association, excuse me, and the Reno Physicians Association. 
from the federal government, or we had um, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Assistance, HRSA, the Health Resources and Services Administration, all both of those with the U.S. Department of Health, the National Kidney Disease Education Program, which is within NIDDK. These, these acronyms are killing me. I apologize. <laughs> I That's the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, which is also part of the National Institutes of Health. And as Paul mentioned, the Office of Disability Employment Policy with the U.S. Department of Labor. But we, we really want to want to acknowledge and thank the private sector firm because a lot of times you have people in a vacuum doing this and the actual people, the providers in this case, are involved. We got support from Presidius Kidney Care, Davida, Northwest Kidney Center, uh, Renologic, Dialysis Clinic, Inc., and Baxter International. So we, we have some very large players in the arena so the recommendations that we came up with that may impact them, they had what we as patients always want, patient engagement, you know, nothing about mm-hmm. us without us. We brought these people to the table. So they were involved and they came up with many of the recommendations that were going to impact their particular organization. That's why we think this effort can be very successful. It's going to be great. I mean, people who are employed and are on dialysis, they're more likely to have access to more health insurance. I mean, it's it's critical because right now you have an option to have Medicare. If you qualify for Medicare, then hopefully you have access to private insurance for the other secondary or your, you know, maybe you can get into a managed care plan if you're already in one or um, you have to go on Medi-Cal or Medicaid or or have access to a Medigap plan. In California, you can't get access to a Medigap plan here. So it does re- really leave you with um, not that mer- many options because if you don't have a job, you have a lack in coverage for share of costs. And that's that's, that's critical. I mean, I would be so broke right now with my last, I had my fourth transplant a little over six years ago and had to have, you know, I'm sure I glow in the dark when the lights are out. I had so many treatments to make it happen. And I mean, my, luckily I have private insurance and I had Medicare at the time for the three-year window that you have after post-transplant. And it right. was a lifesaver. I mean, I would be broke. I would be financially broke with that 20%. And it's it's just, it's you know, I'm so grateful to the Medicare program because it's it's been my safety net. But the majority of my life when I've been transplanted, I'd ha- I've had a private health insurance plan. And so it's, it's, it's critical. And maybe we can talk a little bit about what people can find uh, in the toolbox. So um, what we did is we first assembled uh, this roundtable in 2016, and we brought everybody together to produce a white paper. And so it was peered review. Uh, it was academic. It's over 70 pages. We did an executive summary that broke it down further. And uh, people will see specific uh, strategies about raising awareness of CKD, identifying CKD earlier, um, and active steps to slow CKD progression through uh, diet in nutrition and medical coordination, um, and then the support for transplant patients. That that whole effort um, came to closure, and then we rolled this out uh, publicly in September of 2016 at our annual patient meeting. Uh, Dory Chattel gave a great uh, speech on that, which people can find online on the AAKP website, uh, where she previews it. The report we put out um, online in uh, February of uh, 2016, and then we engaged in a soft rollout 
for about three or four months where we populated it across uh, Capitol Hill and within the executive branch on the transition teams and with other key influencers. And then around July 4th on the theme of independence, we put the full report out. Uh, we had tremendous media reaction. It went up on over 800 websites um, and news aggregators. We had uh, hundreds and hundreds of people coming on uh, to the site, and then that blossomed into thousands of views, all original views. And people are sending us comments about what they would like to see. The formal rollout of the toolkit itself, um, we're collecting comments because patients are giving us some of the best insights about what they need based on their own reflections. And what they're going to find in there is this. They're going to find the specific things they need to uh, talk to loved ones and family members about about what the disease poses uh, to your economic status, the importance of keeping health insurance, and how to work with your health insurance provider, where to go to get information about that, um, the types of things you need to be aware of uh, in your health uh, journey that may impact your work. Uh, we kid around sometimes, and we call it the brain fog, but I think anyone listening to this show and who's heard any of us speak before, especially you, Lori, about the cognitive impact, what they need to look for for signs of that, and then how to engage uh, the types of employers they may may actually be working with. And those tools get down to the specifics of the top five questions to ask, the top five things to be aware of, when to ask your doctor to get involved, things that you should be concerned about and aware about, how to protect your privacy, and other skill sets to think about augmenting as you journey through your career on the points that Richard raised about making certain that we're always preparing for the next job. I think it's fundamentally important for every American worker to think like that, but especially those who have a pre-existing condition or kidney disease. Yeah. And and for each one of the recommendations that Paul discussed a few seconds ago, um, a toolkit focusing on the audience, for example, will have some information for the employers. Sometimes they may think something and it not be supported by facts and data and information. So we're going to develop the metrics that are necessary to take a look at um, the outcomes so that they'll be encouraged to um, employ the people and hopefully make some behavior changes in terms of, oh, I didn't know that, or I never looked at it that way. I know some employers are really afraid of the cost of have insuring a, a person who has kidney disease. So therefore, they're not always the friendliest to them. My, my husband works for the city of Glendale, and I'm insured under the city of Glendale. I always say, you know, my, my definition of a real man is what kind of health plan he has. Because I can't, as a small <laughs> as a small employer, get access to the insurance he has access to. So, um, and it makes it very frustrating because if I had, was able to get access to affordable health insurance for a small company, um, I could have two insurance plans. He could be my secondary, but we're, we're left to pay the 20% um, because he has better coverage and I can see the doctors I want to see. But at a time when I was really having a lot of problems, I mean, it was, they weren't always that nice. And luckily I had my little health skill advocacy, you know, get on the phone, get them straight, um, you know, it, it calmed down. But, you know, they were trying to delay different types of treatments I needed and, you know, making it just so many obstacles. So um, 
And so anyways, the insurance, and then we had to get the city on the phone to get the insurance straightened because they really wanted to, wanted to get rid of me. And I just find that that's so sad in this day and age when, you know, somebody has an illness and when they need insurance the most, they don't want them to be insured. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's immoral. <laughs> So um, I, I wanted well, to. I, I, th- I think we both agree with you on, on that. I, know. I think this. I think I think it's a focus point really for people to understand that. Hey, look, we each run into these anecdotes, but at the macro level, uh, as a community, it's fundamentally important for us to educate everybody, especially employers, because not every employer uh, will be negative. A lot of folks sometimes act out of ignorance, and we're aware of that, but. The other side of the equation is we have to fill in the blanks, and we really do believe that this will help people fill in the blanks, especially on the human resource side and on the recruitment side, to demystify what the disease is and to see people for what they are when they come in the door and when their name comes up on a on a sheet of paper that the individual person themselves can contribute to society and to the mission of a job. They're not looking at a disease or a number. Uh, I find that as offensive as you do, Lori, and I know that Richard shares the same concern, but um, we're, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that compelled us to do this is because we yeah. want people to be well-armed with the information they need. One of the ideas that I had suggested many years ago and had you know, brought up to the different companies is the people who serve people with kidney disease need to be the ones that hire the patients. They, they need to step forward, like the Amgens, the Abbots, the Baxters, the Fresenius's, the DeVitas. They need to be the examples to hire and, not, um, and to keep, give people with kidney disease an opportunity <laughs> to have a job. And so perhaps in the future, maybe, um, maybe that's something we could work on and you know create whenever there's a job opening at Amgen or Baxter or Fresenius, that it all filters through a platform. And then you, you can get the people who have kidney disease to find those opportunities. And I, I've always envisioned that as a, a way to keep more people with kidney disease in the communities so that they their voice is heard from the inside out, you know, not just always looking external for somebody who has kidney disease, but actually on the ground floor of people who serve people with kidney disease. Well, you, you are the voice of an optimist stitching the dots together. Yes. Because Richard and, I, Richard and I both recall this. This actually came up. Uh, at the round table and, and in the discussions That's, afterwards about hosting, uh, whether it be a, uh, a job site or on a shared yeah. platform and driving traffic to it. And yeah. we are very interested in that. And you got to watch yourself, Lori. You have a radio show like this. You may very well, well end up in, in the toolkit as, yeah. as a resource. But this idea yeah. of a shared well, job yeah. site is a Well, Doug had called me, and I'm like, that's my big idea. Because I when I worked for the Department of Rehabilitation as a volunteer, I'm like, we need to go to people who serve people who have a healthcare product, do the dog and pony show, and get their human resources to give us a filter to the job openings they have, and then, you know, connect people who have kidney disease to be able to find those jobs. And and then also, I guess the other part, and you know this better than this has been my mission from starting RSN in 93, was that an illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. And people need to know that they can have a future with this illness. And that, you know, once they know they can have a future, then you got to, you know, prepare for the future by doing all the things necessary. 
And, um, right. you know, that it is. I mean, I meet people, cons- you know, oh, I'm not going to live that long. Well, yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, what is it? If I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. That's what I like to tell people. taken better care of and, myself. So, I would have uh, been better educated. I would have gone to school. Well, I mean, it is. It's, 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 it, and it's so understandable because we've all suffered greatly with kidney disease. And, you know, um, we're all getting older, too. I mean, in in a mixture of it, sometimes you think you just don't have the energy to go pursue a new career or pursue a new dream, and you just settle. And we just got to move the kidney community to, um, you know, think a little bit differently. I love that you're working with the doctors, because many years ago, I remember one of the companies would put in the doctor's paycheck, do not refer the patient for disability. That's how they were trying to communicate with the doctors (laughs) through a paycheck. They had to put the note on the paycheck. And that was before automatic deposit. So they can't do that anymore. Um, But that's one way to get people to listen is just put the note with the check. So, um, well, I really appreciate, um, and, you know, I appreciate your... uh, desire to help solve this problem and maybe give a little um, update of what your guys are doing with work and how your jobs have transitioned and you've made it adapt for your lifestyle. Uh, Richard, you want to go first? <laughs> well, you, you know, Lori, one of the things that, that I've done is that I've continued to educate myself and um, I have finished all my coursework for my uh, doctoral degree and I have to finish my, my dissertation. And my ultimate plan is to retire into teaching full time. Meanwhile, um, I continue to do some consulting work with small businesses. I do teach on a uh, um, on a part time basis out at the university. I've been doing that for over for over thirty years, quite frankly. And I'm in the midst now because I have a daughter going to college. I'm actually in the midst now of looking for a full time job. So I will be putting a traditional full-time job where I have to go there and have a boss and take orders and things of that nature. I will be putting a lot of that to the test as I reach out. And I mean, I'm in, I'm in great shape, but you know, I face healthcare and age. Right. No, my doctor says that too. You can't blame everything on kidney disease. <laughs> you know, That's we're getting right. older. <laughs> I know. That's I, right. <laughs> I always say that about my weight. I can't blame that on kidney disease. I, I came by that, honestly. Paul, why don't you go ahead and, and tell him? Because Paul, you know, this guy, sometimes I have to slow him down because he's going 16 to 20 hours a day sometimes. So. <laughs> Which is a frightening thought. Hey, Paul, just before you start, uh, Richard just said you went, you go, 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 go. How much steroids are you on a day? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I take, I take, I take uh, 7.5 milligrams of uh, prednisone. And then my Irish gift of gab probably gives me about another 200 milligrams. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So that, that yeah, okay. So we got a little bit of steroid push there every day. Okay. When I first was on a higher dose of steroids, um, when I would go into the doctor, my doctor would say, either give her an Ativan or give me one. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I, think I, I think I lead leave a, a wide wake of uh, Tylenol and NSAIDs in my path for those who uh, have run into me. But um, but I'll I'll tell you what. In terms of uh, my career, kidney disease has always run parallel to it, and I've never let it um, create an artificial ceiling for what I want to do. 
my number one goal uh, when I was very young and first diagnosed, my grandfather and father served in the military, and I wanted to have the same type of career that was cut short. And my father, who had served the federal government as a civil servant in uh, the Department of the Navy for over 30 years, gave me some wise advice, which is uh, uh, serve your country. There are many ways to do it. And he was a Boston uh, Irish Democrat, and he said, if you want to go into politics, go ahead. And I told him that I had signed up to work for Ronald Reagan, and he nearly fell over. Um, but I've always stayed in the realm of public policy, and so I've had the good fortune to work for uh, a number of great people over the years. Uh, I still work in public policy. I was the chair of the uh, Trump transition team uh, for the federal civil service. I stay engaged uh, with the federal government at many different levels. I was just named the chair of the FDA Patient Engagement Advisory Council, and I work very closely with uh, HHS and with uh, DHS on several issues uh, related to health care and emergency planning. Um, I also do work in media, and uh, I'm a regular uh, guest on Fox Business News doing economic analysis. So I've never let it really impact my career. There are some times when you're going through a rough rough spell that you got to be really direct with people and hope that they understand you as a human being uh, managing something. But I try to define myself based on who I am and what I believe in and not by my disease. So do you work as a consultant for different entities? And, you know, that is really a great gig to have when you have an illness because you can work when you want and you can share your expertise. And I did that for many years till RSN grew and I had to run my nonprofit full time and give up consulting. So that's the best. I have my own business. Uh, I do consulting work with folks. And then uh, because of the number of people that I worked for over the years, I'm often asked to come back into either government or into a major national nonprofit to run things. So my background is as a chief of staff. And um, I've resisted the urge of, of coming back into the uh, federal government because right now I'm very passionate and uh, focused on trying to build AAKP up and, more importantly, make certain that uh, all of us as patients are actively involved in def- defining what patient engagement actually means, that patients are defining what that looks like in terms of federal and state policy and not people who have um, never had the opportunity to walk in our shoes. And so through AAKP and through a number of other organizations, I'm able to do that. Uh, However, I do imagine at some point in the future, I'll be back in uh, federal or state government uh, driving policy. That's wonderful, Paul. Uh, It's it's so important for people who have kidney disease, who have leadership skills, to step out and use those leadership skills because we can make so much difference in the community by sharing our expertise, but also, you know, our experience. Um, I commend you both for being able to, you know, use your skill set to help people who have kidney disease stay employed or find employment. Um, there's just a first installment out now, but everybody listening, you know, you can go to Kidney Works and and stay tuned because I guess a lot is going to be coming out. And and when we're working, we're happier. I know that because too much free time with an illness and with a renal diet is just deadly. <laughs> And so um, it's, it's, it's important to stay active and engaged. So thank you both. Um, again, it's kidneyworks.org. You can go to the website and you can go to aakp.org, which Richard and Paul are um, president and vice president of and learn about what they do. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
hold on to hope because when you have kidney disease, and I know it's extremely emotional and frustrating, but just go find somebody else who has kidney disease that you admire what they're doing and learn how they got from point A to point B, and you can be that person too. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.